0: Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com give. Good morning. Hope everybody here has been enjoying this lovely spring that we've been having so far. I was at the church yesterday working on this sermon, uh, and I don't know if you know this, but my office has no windows. I didn't know how bad it was getting, and Tim called me, and uh, he's driving home on 37, and he's a little frustrated with people driving 10 miles an hour, and I think, oh, it must be getting bad out there. And then Amanda sends me a text, and it's a picture of our van, and it's halfway in our driveway and halfway out in the cul-de-sac, and I think, well, that's weird, why did you park it like that. And it slid. She parked the van. She'd gotten out of it. And when she got out of it, it just slid back down the driveway. We don't have a very sloped driveway. It's actually pretty flat. And our van is, I don't know if you know this, it's big. It's a 12-passenger Ford Transit 350XLT. So I I drive this little tiny, itty-bitty, tiny small Honda Fit, and I'm sitting here at the church thinking, man, I'm going to, and I don't know, some of you are around the church setting up or whatever at various points. I'm wearing jeans and a t-shirt, I'm like, I'm going to have to stay here, and I'm going to have to preach in jeans and a t-shirt unless Amanda can get here, but I made it home, I made it back, I have on a change of clothes. And I have it on good authority that uh, while the earth remains, sea time and harvest and cold and heat and summer and winter and day and night shall not cease. So the heat will come back and it might even, it sounds like it's coming back now, doesn't it? You just hear everything melting. It's Indiana, it'll probably be here by this afternoon. As uh, Jody said, this is Palm Sunday. If you didn't catch that by the army of massive kids, Jody told you. Now I'm telling you again, it's Palm Sunday. It's the first day of Holy Week. Holy Week is the week that we celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So here's how it works. Today, Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. He arrives with the crowds. There's, everybody's going nuts. He preaches for a couple of days. On Thursday, Maundy Thursday, you saw the signs, you heard Jody, you heard Lucas. Thursday of this week, uh, they celebrate the Lord's Supper. He institutes the Lord's Supper, gives him a new law, the law of love. And then that night he's betrayed. The next day he's crucified. That's Good Friday. And then Sunday he raises, he's risen from the dead. That's Easter. Today is where it all begins. It's Palm Sunday, the day Jesus arrived at Jerusalem. And we're going to read that from Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. So turn with me there in your Bibles if you're able Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did just as Jesus had instructed them and brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred, saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all those who were buying and selling sheep in the temple, or sorry, buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a robber's den. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he had done and the children who, who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, do you hear what these children are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read, out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself? And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Now, in the morning, when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things that you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Let's pray. Father, have mercy on us this morning. Humble our hearts before you and before your word. Help us to learn the lessons you'd have us learn. Convict us of our sin. Drive us to repentance and give us newness of life in Christ. Help every one of us here to listen attentively to your words and help me to speak them faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I want to start by setting the stage this morning. This is the end of Jesus' ministry. Three years culminating here in Jerusalem. And I want to ask a question. How many times has Jesus been to Jerusalem? Does anybody know? At this point, how many times has he been there? If, nobody wants to guess? That's okay. If you had only read Matthew, if you'd only, you're right. If you had only read Matthew, you would think that this was the first time that Jesus ever came to Jerusalem. You would think that he had never been there before Matthew begins at Christmas and then Jesus is baptized, anointed prophet, priest, and king. He goes out into the wilderness. He does battle with the devil for 40 days. He wins, then he comes out and he starts gathering disciples. He preaches the Sermon on the Mount and he starts healing and preaching repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And everywhere he goes, people are flocking to him. He's healing the sick and the lame. And it's just one big quest from beginning from from there battle with the devil in the wilderness, to coming to Jerusalem with an army. And that's what you would think. By Matthew's telling, Jesus spent three years in the wilderness building a a peasant army to march on Jerusalem. And that's also true of how Mark tells the story and it's also true of how Luke tells the story. There are no accounts of Jesus going to Jerusalem until now, Palm Sunday, in any of those three gospels with the exception of Jesus being circumcised when he was eight days old and when he was 12 visiting the temple with his family in Luke. There's just this growing sense that everything is leading towards this moment. Everything is building up to a showdown in Jerusalem. But then you flip to the gospel of John. And John tells a different sort of story, In fact, if all we had to go on was John's story, we would imagine that Jesus' whole ministry was just him circling around Jerusalem. And I went like this because as I think about it, I imagine a boxing match. I imagine, I mean, how many of you know who Floyd Mayweather is? Okay. I imagine Floyd Mayweather just dancing around the ring, dancing around the ring, dancing around the ring, and then coming in surgically, delivering a couple of blows, getting his points, and then getting back out before he takes a blow and dancing around the ring. And that's kind of how John portrays Jesus with Jerusalem. What's up with that? What's that about? Jerusalem was basically incidental to Jesus' larger ministry. Jesus' Jesus's larger ministry is what Matthew, Mark, and Luke show us. That's what they want to focus on. John wants us to know something different. He wants us to know something about the relationship between Jesus and Jerusalem. He wants us to know it's not the first time that he's been there when he comes on Palm Sunday. It's helpful for us to know that. It's helpful for us to know that because Jesus has really appeared to spend most of his ministry actively avoiding Jerusalem. Jerusalem. He really didn't want to be there unless he had to. And he had to because he had to fulfill the law. He had to fulfill the law and that meant he had to go up for the feasts. And so he would go up for the feasts and then he would go back to Galilee or the hinterlands ministering among the, uh, out on the highways and byways. He didn't want to be in Jerusalem but he did want Jerusalem in the worst way. Luke tells us that as Jesus was coming down on Palm Sunday to Jerusalem, he was crying. He was weeping over the city. Later on, Matthew records him lamenting over the city again, saying, oh Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus wanted Jerusalem. And at the same time, he didn't really want anything to do with it. Why? What is going on here between Jesus and Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem was utterly corrupt. It was the seat of the religious and political leaders. It was the home of the establishment, the establishment that had been leading Israel astray. And Jesus had come to unseat them. He had come to overthrow the establishment. Jerusalem and all of Israel was led by a council of leaders called the Sanhedrin. And they were in Jerusalem. And they're composed of two parties. It was a two-party system. On the one side, you had the Sadducees. And the Sadducees, they were rich, they were the chief priests, they were the elites, they were the merchant class as well, noblemen. Most of them were called Herodians, which meant they were all in bed with Rome and the Roman powers. They were theologically liberal, they didn't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And they had control basically of the Sanhedrin, they were led by Annas and Caiaphas, the high priests. And then there was a minority group among them called the Pharisees who were a bunch of independently wealthy men who had the luxury of dedicating their lives to being holier than everybody else and creating rules and laws that nobody could follow unless they were independently wealthy Pharisees like them. And they would oppress the people with their holiness. But they didn't have the institutional power But the people preferred them because they were conservative. They actually believed in the resurrection of the dead. They believed in holiness and that people should be holy. So the people preferred the Pharisees. That was the establishment that reigned in Jerusalem and held sway over all of Israel. And Jesus didn't really want to have anything to do with them. And so Matthew and Mark and Luke, they're not concerned about that either, not until Palm Sunday when Jesus comes to take them on, which is what we're going to see. They're just trying to give you the big picture of what Jesus' ministry looked like, who Jesus spent his time with out on the highways and byways. We don't see in those gospels Jesus engaging, going after the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now, we do see them come to him, and when he, they come to him, he'll deal with them. He'll either blow them off or put them in their place. And he'll warn the people, beware the leaven of the scribes and the Pharisees. But he doesn't care about them. They're not who he's focused on. He is focused on the lost sheep of Israel. The crowds who are like sheep without a shepherd. That's who he has compassion for. Except that when he does go to Jerusalem, which again he has to do to fulfill the law, he can't avoid them. There they are. So for Matthew, Mark, and Luke, those are incidental trips, little things that he has to do, side trips, parenthetical things that are just sort of like even distractions from the real ministry of Jesus out among the people. Now, John wants us to see what's actually going on when Jesus goes to Jerusalem on these trips, though. So when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, things are always ugly. They're always ugly. The nicest and most pleasant experience that Jesus has in Jerusalem is the first time he goes at the start of his ministry. He he has just turned water into wine, performed his first miracle at the wedding feast in Cana of Galilee, and then he goes down to Jerusalem for the Passover. And do you know what he does? As soon as he gets there, he does the exact same thing we see him doing here. He goes right down to the temple and he takes a whip and he drives out the money changers. And the, and everybody is just back on their heels. And they say, by what authority? Show us a sign. And he says, I'll show you a sign in three days destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it back up. And then Nicodemus comes to him at night, one of the one of the leaders, says, I know that you're from God, but and Jesus says, You don't know the Bible. And then Jesus leaves. And then he, it says he departs for the countryside and he starts teaching and preaching in the countryside and baptizing people and he makes his way all the way to Samaria and that's probably like half of Luke. But John tells only one story. He tells the story of the Samaritan woman in contrast with Nicodemus and the reception he gets in Jerusalem, the contrast between the reception he receives in Jerusalem and the reception he receives in Samaria, that's all John cares about. And the next thing you know, in chapter 5, there's another feast, and he comes back to Jerusalem again. And he heals a man on the Sabbath. And so he's accused of breaking the Sabbath, and he says, well, I've only done the work that I've seen my father doing. And that sets them off. They were seeking all the more to kill him, it says, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. And so Jesus says, you're offended that I said God's my father. Let me tell you about my relationship with the father. And that's John 6. And that doesn't go over well. So Jesus has to escape He ditches Jerusalem. He goes all the way to the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee. So Jerusalem's down here and Galilee's up here and he's on the opposite. He just goes as far away as he can get. And John says he feeds some people there and he preaches and stuff. That's the end of John 6. And then John 7 says, after this Jesus went about in Galilee, he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. That's probably the other half of Luke or something like that. But then... In John, John flashes us forward to the very next feast and the very next verse. He's still up in Galilee and the next feast comes along and his brothers are trying to get him to go to Jerusalem again for the feast. He says, I'm not going to go. Why not? Because my time has not yet come. That's his answer. My my time has not yet come. In other words, if I go to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me and it's not time for that yet. I'm not going to go. You go ahead. So they did. And then Jesus came behind them secretly. And he's low key and nobody knows that he's there. But Jesus can't be in Jerusalem and be quiet. So he goes to the temple and he starts preaching and teaching again. And then it says this. Some of the people of Jerusalem, so this is the people of Jerusalem, said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? So here he is in the temple in Jerusalem and it's an open secret. Everybody wants this man dead. The leaders want him dead. And he stirred up the crowds. You don't see anything like that in the other gospels. Nobody is seen trying to kill Jesus in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, except Nazareth, when he first starts preaching, because a prophet's not welcome in his own town. But after that, you don't see that. Only in Jerusalem do you see this kind of response to Jesus. The crowds are curious. And that makes the Pharisees and the chief priests that much more intent on killing him. But now instead of trying to kill him, it says that they're trying to arrest him. They can't just lynch him because the crowds are kind of curious. So he slips through the crowds while they try to arrest him and it says that many of the people believe in him. The Pharisees and chief priests are threatened. So then they send guards, officers to go arrest Jesus while he's in the temple. They think that they can do that still. They think they have enough power to pull that off the guards get there and Jesus is preaching and teaching and the people are saying this really is the prophet. Others said this is the Christ but some said is the Christ to come from Galilee? So here they are now divided in Jerusalem and the officers don't know what to do. So they go back to the chief priests and the Pharisees and they say we can't we can't we didn't do it and they get angry and they ask for an explanation and they said no one ever spoke like this man. No one ever spoke like this man. And that makes them more angry. And you can imagine why. They're the teachers of Israel. Who is this guy? This is what they say, have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. And then we find out that Nicodemus is there in the crowd with the Pharisees. He's one of them. Nicodemus is there and he sort of raises his hand and he says, um, I think that we shouldn't declare a verdict without a trial. And this like, shut up. You know that no prophet's supposed to come from Galilee. They smack him right back down. Now, Jesus is still in Jerusalem at this point, And he's still teaching. He's not left. So he starts to preach again, and this time he ramps things up even more. Things get really intense. He says to the people, your father is the devil. My father is God. They say, Abraham's our father. He says, before Abraham was, I am. They try to stone him. They try to stone him multiple times. And then he goes and he hides again. And he's ministering about with the peasants. And then the next thing you know, there's another feast and Jesus comes and he preaches again and they try to stone him again. When they can't do that, they try to arrest him again. And then he escapes and he goes across the Jordan and it says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews but went from there to the region near the wilderness. And that's the last time that he's in Jerusalem before the Passover. That's it. Before Jesus comes to Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. So do you get the picture? Jesus, or sorry, Jerusalem was full of people that hated Jesus, that wanted him dead, and everybody knew it. Now there's one more important thing to know. One more big thing that happened. Jesus raised a man named Lazarus from the dead, not long before Palm Sunday. He did that in a city, a town called Bethany, Does anybody know where Bethany is? It's just two miles away from Jerusalem. And the word about Lazarus spread quickly. In fact, it says that there were people there who witnessed Lazarus being raised from the dead who immediately went to Jerusalem to report it to the Pharisees. And that's when they knew that things had gotten out of hand in Jerusalem. So they called a council in Jerusalem and they said, this man must die. What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So they expected him then to come for Passover. And they made plans to kill him at the Passover. And you have to remember at Passover, 200,000 people are descending on Jerusalem. So they give orders throughout the whole city. Keep on the alert. Watch for Jesus. If anybody sees him, let us know. We got to get this guy in our sights. We got to find him and we've got to kill him because things may get out of hand here. So they're like spies and people all all over Jerusalem waiting for, trying to pick Jesus out from the crowds that are coming in. They had no idea what's about to happen. In fact, John says, they're asking themselves, is he even gonna come? Like everybody knows they're trying to kill him. Is he even gonna come? Is he gonna chance it? Is he gonna try to sneak in? Everybody's just sort of waiting. Jesus knows. Uh, I want us to see the big picture here. Jesus... He was a man who followed his own commands. He did not spend his ministry casting his pearls before the corrupt swine of Jerusalem. He spent his ministry among the harassed sheep of Israel. He healed people, he taught them, he cared for them as sheep without a shepherd that came to him by the thousands over all three years of his ministry. He spent his time with tax collectors and prostitutes, with the poor and with the needy, with the lepers and the lame and the sick and the beggars and the disenfranchised, and worse, the Gentiles. And they all loved him. These were the people who followed him to the wilderness, who followed him for days, going without food, who followed him from city to city to city. And now they were following him up to Jerusalem, and all of Israel's headed down there, the same Israel that Jesus has spent three years ministering to. They're all descending on Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. So Jesus decides it's time. It is time to make a show of power. It is time to come to Jerusalem as king. So he takes a tour of the cities around the area on his way there. And everywhere he goes, the crowds get bigger and bigger and bigger. And there are people on the sides of the road crying out. There are blind men crying out, son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowds are getting bigger and people are saying, no, go away. And it's a mixed crowd. And Jesus is saying, no, let him come to me. I'm going to heal him. Let the children come to me. And the crowds keep getting bigger and bigger. And then they go. And by the time they reach Zacchaeus' house, Zacchaeus, who's a wee little man, has to climb up into a tree just to see him. Because the crowds, the crowds are insane. They're huge. Everybody wants to follow Jesus. Everybody wants to see what's happening here. And then he decides to go down into Jerusalem. And you have to understand, nobody in Jerusalem wants this. That nobody's expecting it. Nobody wants it. These guys are plotting against him and saying, man, this guy seems like he's getting a little popular. We better take care of him before the, the Romans catch on. And here comes Jesus marching into Jerusalem like a king with an army. He's turned the tables on them. Let's read it again. When they had approached Jerusalem and had come to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village opposite you and immediately you'll find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, the Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, and they did just as Jesus had instructed them, and brought the donkey and the colt, and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats... Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road and others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When he had entered Jerusalem, all the city was stirred saying, who is this? And the crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee in case you were wondering. And John records this little note right as Jesus is entering the city and it's this little insight into the Pharisees. The Pharisees said to one another, you see that we are gaining nothing. Look, the whole world has gone after him. (laughs) Here he comes. They had their spies out and the whole world is coming to Jerusalem. The Pharisees think it's all over. They think that they've lost. They have no idea what to do. They think it's gonna go very, very badly. And you have to put yourself in in their place The people are going after this untrained hick from Galilee, this know-nothing. They're not listening to us. The Romans are going to see it. We're going to lose everything. Now, let's stop and think about this crowd. This crowd is the scum of the earth. We have to realize this. This crowd, these are the prostitutes and the beggars. They're the lame and the sick and the blind. They're even Gentiles among them. And they're the tax collectors. It's possible Zacchaeus himself was in the crowd. Remember who wrote this? Matthew wrote this. Matthew, when Jesus called him, was what? Tax collector. These were the most despised people in all of Israel coming behind Jesus. The most despised. Pharisees, you have to understand the Pharisees, their laws, their little rules, if they mingled with this crowd and got touched by one, they have to go home and be ceremonially washed. They didn't want to see this. So let me ask you a question. Who would be the most obnoxious person to come and march on Bloomington? Who would Bloomington hate the most and plot to a kill? Okay, you said it, not me. I'm not, the, I just want the record to show I'm not the one comparing <laughs> Jesus to Trump here, you are. It was totally not in my notes. Imagine, listen, we have to find ways to help ourselves understand this. Imagine Donald Trump coming to Bloomington and there's a plot to kill him. He went all over and imagine that what he did beforehand was he went all over the county and he held rallies. And he just gathered more and more people. Went over to Ellettsville. he went over to Green County maybe, he went down to the racetrack, he got people stirred up and then he marched into Bloomington in a show of defiance and power with his army of deplorables behind him. You can even imagine him riding a donkey if you want to. (laughs) I prefer to. I think that would be pretty fun. I might go see it then. Even more, donkeys. Imagine that and imagine yourself. Anybody like that I don't. I don't like that. Jesus is not Donald Trump. But if you put yourself there, you're not far off in how this would have been received in Jerusalem, okay? You are not that far off at all. It's not just a show of power and defiance. It's an embarrassing one. It's a cringeworthy one. Jesus does not look like the king of kings. He hardly even looks like the prince of peace. He looks much more like a prince of beggars. Calvin works hard to drive this point home. The words he uses are laughable, pathetic, and ridiculous to describe this scene. The crowd he calls a rabble. Nobody wants this. The Pharisees don't want it. Why not? Well, they can't touch these people. They don't want these people around. And the fact that Jesus is loving them exposes their hypocrisy. It's coming at them from both sides. They hate this. It's calculated for them to hate it. And then he gets into Jerusalem and he doesn't stop. He goes right down to the temple with this crowd at his back. And he drives out the money changers. The men who had been defrauding these people for years. He'd watched it every year of his life. Every time he went to the temple for Passover, he had seen it. They had been defrauded. He drives them all out. Nobody likes this. The crowd does. The crowd's like, yeah. But nobody in Jerusalem likes, likes this. The Pharisees, they were kind of, the, this, the buying and selling was happening in a place called the, the Court of the Gentiles. Okay? Court of the Gentiles was full of the sheep and the doves and whatever else they were selling, which meant that Gentiles couldn't be there. The Pharisees were kind of cool with that. Okay? On the other side are the Sadducees. This is their racket. Jesus is hitting them in their pocketbooks. They've set this whole thing up. Annas and Caiaphas, they're the ones that are getting kickbacks from all of these people selling in the temple. Jesus is hitting them where it counts. And everybody knows it's the right thing to do. Everybody knows that this is wrong and corrupt. They just made their peace with it. Nobody can say anything, especially not with the crowds there. And then Jesus is still not done. He sits down in the temple and he just starts performing miracles the blind and the lame come and he's healing them right there. And so here you have all these Pharisees and like, oh, is Jesus going to come? We better have spies ready. And here he comes with an army. He marches to the center of town and he starts performing miracles after he's cut off their money supply. And he says, I am the king. Here I am, your move. And they have nothing. They don't know what to do. And their children are crying Hosanna to the son of David. And they are, the word is indignant. (laughs) They're indignant. They don't know what to do. And they say, do you hear these? And he says, yeah, I hear them. I hear them. Have you never read the Bible? Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city and he spent the night there. And that's the end of Jesus's first day in Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. Everybody is at a loss. They don't know what to do. Jesus came and he shocked them all. They did not know he was gonna do that. They were proud. They didn't realize how hungry the sheep were under their watch. They didn't realize what Jesus had been doing. They thought they had things under control They thought they had made, you know, they'd made peace with Rome. They had the people. And then the real thing came along. and They didn't know what hit them. So they have to go back. They're back on their heels and they have to strategize. Okay, what are we going to do? And in their pride, they thought that they could win the crowd back. So they start coming at Jesus. And they start trying to lay traps for him. And every time they come at Jesus with their, aha, gotcha question, he turns it on them. And then he starts, I mean, he makes a joke of them. And then he starts telling parables that are driven right at them in front of all the crowds. They're humiliated. They're embarrassed. This unlearned man from Galilee is really just, he's shutting them down. And they just get more angry and more frustrated. The Pharisees try it. The Sadducees try it. Everybody tries it. And he just keeps coming back at them hard. And everybody's like, did you perceive that the Pharisees were offended? (laughs) Yep. That was the point. And then they're completely silenced and they give up. And they say, hey, we have nothing. We can't say anything to this guy anymore. He's just making us look stupid. So they shut up. And as soon as they shut up, he starts pronouncing woes on them calling them out, exposing their hypocrisy in front of everybody. He had the upper hand. He had them on the ropes and then he kept pushing and he kept pushing against everyone and everything including the crowd and John tells us that by the end of the week, he had lost the crowd. He stood up and he said, the Son of Man is going to be lifted up. And he was talking about his death, and they said, the Son of Man reigns, or the Messiah reigns forever. He's not going to die. He says he lost the crowds. At the same time, John tells us that as he was losing some of the crowd, he was winning some of the authorities. But they were absolutely scared out of their minds. They wouldn't say a word They didn't want to be kicked out of the synagogues. It says they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. But now everything's shifting. Everything's moving. Everything's in motion. Jesus is losing people all over the place and he's losing, he even loses one of his own. Judas is seeing the writing on the wall. Judas knows everybody's actually standing their ground here. Nobody's giving and Jesus will not stop. This is not going to end well. And so Jesus Ju- Judas goes to the authorities and says, I got your answer. I got your answer. And they make a plan to come and take him out at night, under cover of darkness. They're still too afraid to do it in front of the crowds. They're still too afraid to do it in front of the crowds. But they have to say they have to kill this guy. They have to get rid of him. So they make a plan to do it under night or at night under cover of darkness they have a kangaroo court they'll fudge it just enough by the time everybody's waking up they'll have him in the hands of pilate and once the romans have him everything will change and it did the crowds either scattered or they turned they knocked at daybreak on pilate's door handed jesus over crowds everybody's just waking up now Jesus is in the hands of the Romans and they've seen this happen before so the crowds turn or they scatter nobody is willing to own him everybody's too ashamed or they're angry because he didn't fulfill what they had thought he'd come to fulfill nobody's willing to stand up not even Peter this isn't a good Friday sermon It's a Palm Sunday sermon. The question we have to ask ourselves every Palm Sunday is Who would you have been? And I think the answer is closely connected to who you would have been on Good Friday. Who would you have been in the crowds? Jesus is coming into town. Would you have resented this prince of peasants? Would you have hated him and his army of deplorables? Would you have cringed as they came through the streets of your hometown shouting Hosanna to the son of David? Would you have gotten angry when you heard your children praising him? Would you have looked at him cleansing the temple and said, well, that may have needed to happen, but not like that? Are you happy to live at peace in a society that's growing increasingly hostile to the Christian faith just so long as it doesn't cost you anything? It's the same question. Do you cringe whenever there's a prophet among you taking a stand that might cost you something with the Romans? Like at your job, at the university, in the community, on a national level? That's all these people are. If that's true of you, you might be more of a Sadducee than you think you are. How about the other side? Do you actually love the weak and the despised, the sinner? Or are you the kind of person that would resent someone bringing in one of Jesus' normal crowd through the doors? Say a toothless meth addict. Would you have been standing there with your arms folded? You might be more like the Pharisees than you think. How about this person? Would you have been somebody who would have just sort of fallen in line with the crowd, been a little excited about what was going on, wanted to be there, sang praises with the crowd, maybe laid a branch down or two because you wanted to fit in? Still felt a little weird and uncomfortable about it, but like maybe you'd better fall in line? Where would you have been when, the, when Jesus was standing before Pilate? Crying out just as meekly, give us Barabbas! Crucify him. Would you have been all in with King Jesus, the son of David, singing at the top of your lungs on Palm Sunday? And then all in? The kind of person that was all in on King Jesus, ready to fall in. A lot of them, I guarantee you, were the kind of people that would have been all in on Friday saying, give us Barabbas. Where are you in this crowd? Where would you have been? Don't let yourself off the hook. It's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Most of, many, many, many of us would have been on the, with that crowd on Friday calling for him to be crucified. Unless, unless Jesus had really healed you. Unless you were a real sinner and you really knew him. Now you might have been afraid and you might have been timid. And I think about this sort of thing. I mean, you might have scattered with everybody else. When I think about who I, I would have been. I see myself all over the place and I think in my, on my best days, my best days, my very, very best days, the most I can aspire to is like Peter when Jesus says, don't you want to leave me too? And Peter's like, yeah, I do want to leave you, but where else am I supposed to go? What am I supposed to do? <laughs> Who else has the words of life? And I know some of you are, are in fact the kind of people that would have been there sincerely as the children singing Hosanna with all your heart. I watched, I was in the back, I was crying. <laughs> but you have to examine yourself and you have to ask the question because when the king came to his people, when he came to Zion itself, he did not find faith. Your king is coming again. He is coming to you. And the question he has for you is, will he find faith? Will he find those who cast themselves on him as the son of David, the king of kings? Will he find those who love the poor and the weak and the oppressed and who identify with them as he did? Will he find those who are unashamed of him and of his words? You can only ask that question for yourself. You can only answer it for yourself. I'm asking it. You can only answer it for yourself. When he comes again, know that he will not come meek and gentle riding on a donkey. He will come to set things right, to judge the earth. And those that belong to him, they'll realize that the sweetness of the triumphal entry on Palm Sunday, the sweetness that we had this morning, just a taste of the glories to come those who are ashamed of him and of his words will find themselves thrown into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Will you own this Jesus when the whole world is against him? You don't have to be strong. You can be weak, but you must come to him as your king Don't be ashamed of him. He will not be ashamed of you. He was not, the king of heaven was not ashamed to march into Jerusalem with his crowd of deplorables. He won't be ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. Come as the children do, simply humbly singing Hosanna to the king of kings. Bow your knee to him now before he bends it for you because he will. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. Now in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. Seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, no longer shall there be any fruit from you. And once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, how did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, But even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. The fig tree was full of leaves, just like the people, full of promise and hope of fruit, waving the palm branches. And Jesus came to it hungry, and there was no fruit, and so he cursed it. And it never bore fruit again. Don't be like the fig tree. Come to Jesus and bear fruit for your king. All things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. Let's bow now before our king in prayer.